Welcome. This is Sibling Squabbles. I am Erin. I'm Kyle. This is a podcast where we take examples of um, only topics that we think have good arguments on both sides of the table. Normally, we will pick sides randomly and go through all the different arguments. However, on today's episode, we have a special guest. Uh, Christian will be our guest. He's an entrepreneur and an Oxford MBA graduate. He will be arguing today for corporations. And Kyle and I will be joining forces to argue against. Welcome, Christian. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, Aaron and Kyle, for inviting me on your podcast. Big fan. So, okay, let's go. Let's get into it. Um, the topic today is should private companies solve public problems or social problems is more what we're referring to. Um, so let's go ahead and start with a few kind of basics of what we're talking about. Um, Kyle, do you want to take us through a little bit of kind of what we mean when we say things like corporate citizenship? So when we're talking about corporate citizenship, we're talking about, um, sometimes we're talking about charitable donations and whether or not that's something, uh, something that corporation, how much, how much we should rely on corporations and their charities and their foundations. Um, what we're also looking to ties into that is the ability of ability of corporations to handle public uh, public policy? How much they're allowed to donate to to companies, i.e., Citizens United, which was a court case that basically said that corporations are the same as individual citizens, and it says that corporations it says that donating to political campaigns is free speech. So in what that does is it allows for corporations to try to, to donate to whatever political, um, you know, political campaigns they wish, which they can then in turn influence the policies that are made by those political candidates. And that exists in PACs as well. We're going we're gonna to kind of be on the fringe of government, but we don't want to talk, we don't want to get too far into government because we want to focus on corporations because that's what the argument in the podcast is about today. But um, we do want to you, inevitably we're going to talk about government because that's part of the part of the situation. The other the other thing we're going to look at is how much responsibility should corporations have? Should we be relying on corporations to be to be the bedrock of the community? Should we should we be looking at them to create uh, outreach to the poor and outreach to citizens that need it and be creating the society? That, that we want in our community? Should they be doing diversity? You know, obviously we think they should be doing diversity programs, but what, what, what is the role of corporations in, um, in all of these societal issues? And, and I'm glad that you touched on uh, the diversity programs as an example, because I want to contrast a little bit with what we're not talking about for anyone. Um, a lot of corporations have like a corporate social responsibility wing. Um, and part of what that does is things like diversity programs and pay equity within the corporation and things like that. And that's not really what we're talking about. That's within the company. And of course, we want companies to do that. But what we're really having more of a discussion around is how much does that kind of wing of a company translate into? Does that mean you reach out to the community? What does it mean for environmental concerns? What does it mean for like you kind of talked about public policy? Um, so just so that people don't get confused, especially if you work for a company and you have a corporate social responsibility wing or person. Um, we're not necessarily referring to anything that they might do, you know, for example, just for their employees or, or within their company. It's going to be a little broader than that. 
So, but sorry, go ahead. No, that actually, I was going to say that kind of brings us to our next point, which is we want to make sure we're going to use the phrase conscious capitalism probably quite a bit. And it's a pretty popular um, book and also phrase that has spawned a lot of this conversation. And so I wanted to actually go to our guest, Christian, to maybe give us a little bit of an overview of what we mean when we say that. What is conscious capitalism? Yeah, so I think I think the question, the broader question that we're discussing today, if I understand correctly, is the role of corporations in society. And I think the 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 two sides there um, that are there, you know, have been fighting over this for for a long time is are uh, the kind of Milton Friedman school of thought, which says the the role of uh, corporations is to just maximize profits and shareholder values. So basically just make people who own them as much money as possible. And the the other camp is um, whether you want to call it uh, corporate social responsibility, conscious capitalism, there have been a, a range of terms, but basically the other camp argues that corporations have a responsibility to more than just their shareholders have a responsibility to all of their stake, stakeholders in society, including their customers, their employees, um, their vendors, and their broader communities. So when you when you talk about um, conscious conscious capitalism, is just one in a range of philosophies in this latter camp um, around the the broader role of society uh, of corporations in society, and it uh, it came out of um, among others, uh, a book written by the CEO and co-founder of Whole Foods, uh, along with, a, with an academic from, I think, Bentley University. And basically, it just argues what we just thought, uh, what the, the latter bit, which is corporations have a, role, have a responsibility to all their stakeholders, not just their shareholders. And you've done a really great job with that definition of setting it up to make it sound like Kyle and I are going to be greedy, for-profit only uh, capitalists on our side, which is not necessarily the case we're going to make. We'll get, we'll get into more of the disagreement. Um, but I do want to have you define one more term for us before we get into too many arguments, which is, um, there is now sort of a, an official designation for the side that you're going to be taking, which is, um, a B Corp. And again, if we're going to use that term throughout, which we might, I want to make sure that our listeners know what that is. So can you talk us through what a B Corp is? Yeah, of course. So B Corp is just one of the terms used for this, but B Corp is an independent certification by a not-for-profit organization uh, based in the U.S., which uh, basically performs a comprehensive audit of any company that wants to get the certification uh, to before they approve or deny them the certification. And then they also do an annual audit to make sure that um, Corporations maintain high standards in their social and environmental practices. So, if you if you want to um, equate it to something that's that you might be more comfortable or uh, not comfortable uh, familiar with, it's uh, like fair trade. What fair trade is for coffee, B Corp is for companies. It's a stamp of approval that somebody has looked at that company's uh, social and environmental practices and that they've certified that those uh, meet certain standards. And just to be clear, there's no requirements for any companies to become B Corps. Are there any benefits to them doing that? Any tax benefits, anything along those lines? 
there are no requirements for any company to become B Corps and there are no government or tax benefits. The only benefits they might have is on uh, the advertising side, potentially. They can advertise as a B Corp where they can put it on their product. And also a lot of the companies who choose to get this, it's actually also an expensive and, and difficult process to go through. Uh, companies who choose to go this oftentimes already have um, a lot of those practices as part of their values and they either want a stamp of approval for that or they want to get better about those, which is why they opt into B Corps. Okay. So um, let's go ahead and get into some of the disagreements here because again, I think both sides have done a pretty good job of setting up what we think the other argument is going to be, although maybe not. Um, but let's go ahead and start with uh, what Kyle sort of started with, which was corporate money in politics. Because I think a big overarching question, if we're going to say what is the role of corporations in society, we're going to have to touch on, do we think that it's acceptable and okay for corporations to kind of have opinions, for lack of a better phrase, to donate to political causes, to publicly have stances on political issues? Because that's, you know, something that I think a lot of companies that are leaning towards um, the B Corp side of things or that are you know more focused on their role in society are, are big on. They're going to come out with political statements, but that also means that they're going to give money and have influence with our, our government. I think we should make, let Christian kind of make his argument first about, about Citizens United and about the role of corporations before you know, before we get too far into that, but I think, and I, and I don't want to speak too much for him, but I'll just briefly go before he goes, is that I think that, I think that the argument from the corporation side is that they should, they should be allowed to have a say in the political process. And because that allows them to, to have more free reign to solve the problems they think they can solve, to be the bedrock of the community they think they can be. Christian, is that a fair assessment? I think I think the it all starts from the fact that whether we want them or to be or not, corporations are big parts of our societies, right? They're they're big. They're they're are among the main drivers of um, economic growth in, in a lot of countries, and we'll discuss that uh, in more detail later. Um, they are um, they they produce things. They produce um, products that that most of us interact with basically outside of infrastructure and a few of the a few of the core government function most of the things we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis come from a corporation and with that impact on with that impact in society obviously um, corporations want to also have a say a seat at a table way to communicate to politicians um, what their needs are and you know what what the government can do to um, help them produce things better and and provide more value to society. So I think I think that's where I think I think that's the uh, initial stance that we need to leave from. Now whether whether Citizens United is um, a flawless law in that or not, I, I'm not necessarily in a position to comment. But I think that it's important that in some capacity companies have a voice. Uh, to governments, and I think um, that capacity must be um, understood as separate than that of their um, employees and senior executives who do have a voice as citizens. Such a businessman. We already have our first no comment answer. All right. <laughs> so I don't. I don't think one. 
we don't want to get bogged down. We don't want it to be narrow focused on Citizens United. The, the whole debate here isn't just going to be whether Citizens United was correct or not. It's a broader role of corporations. Okay. I think the fear for people who would be, um, I don't want to say completely anti-corporation, but we'll say it's about lack of a better term, anti-corporation is that when you've got that interaction between government and, uh, and um, corporations, they're not trying to, they're not trying to deregulate things so they can help the community. They're trying to get things deregulated so they can make, they can turn a larger profit. They can make more money. And so corporations can sit and say things all they want about how they're going to help. They're going to help things and they're going to, you know, be conscious capitalists. They're not, their goal, the, the whole point of a business is to turn a profit. And they have, they have shareholders that they have to answer to in a board that's, that's goals are going to be largely making, um, making money. Right. So just well, I think that's the whole uh, that's the whole thing we're debating today, right? The goal of the corporation. So I don't I wouldn't necessarily take that as a uh, um, as a beginning conclusion. But uh, I think if we look at what corporations actually do, um, it is clear that some corporations advocate in a way that harm communities and further their profits. And you know it'd be it would be naive for anybody to say that doesn't happen because we have the examples of the tobacco companies, we have many examples of oil and gas companies, and I think I think for a lot of the later half of the 20th century, that that was what a lot of um, lobbying was for. The question is, can that change, and is that changing? And I think the answer is yes. And you see examples like. The uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, which is a large utility in the Pacific Northwest, which was this, which is the second highest uh, lobbying spender between 2016 and 2018, just behind Exxon Exxon Mobil. But the difference is that they're lobbying in favor of cap and trade regulations, in favor of um, emission caps, and they 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 are basically arguing for the things that an environmental organization would argue. And we also have organizations that are smaller, such as you know Ben and Jerry, who's advocating for refugee rights and LGBTQ community rights, which are furthering their cause or their direct object of activity in no way, but it's something that the company believes in and they are spending money behind uh, lobbying for this. Okay, so here's my problem with even those examples, okay? We see over and over that a corporation ha might Say, do even do some of the right things and spend money on the right things. When there's a recession, the first thing they're going to do is take away from those. They're going to take away, they're going to lay off employees, and then they're going to take away those excess things that cost that cost them money because they're not going to make sure they're not going to cut into their profits. So, for example, we we this is about conscious capitalism, right? The person who literally wrote that book on conscious capitalism, the CEO of Whole Foods, as soon as they had multiple quarters where they were decreasing in profit or taking a loss, they, they stopped a lot of their philanthropic uh, donations. They stopped a lot of their charitable, the, you know, the charitable foundations that they were doing and, and made sure that their shareholders were still making their money. And the Actually, other even more than that, if you don't mind me jumping in, it was beyond even just stopping some of the charitable organizations. They changed aspects of the business model. 
So Mackie, who wrote the book and who's the, you know, the former uh, CEO of Whole Foods, sort of put up Whole Foods and put up conscious capitalism as the antithesis to the Walmarts of the world. And, and like to Kyle's point, however, when they stopped, when, when they stopped making money from that, when their competitors started picking up on that and they realized that people were still going to go to whatever was cheaper as long as they had the organic or they had whatever and Whole Foods stopped making money, it's not just that they weren't giving as much back they changed their supply chain to look a lot more like Walmarts. They changed who they bought their products from. At, at the end of the day, they ended up actually selling to Amazon, which had none of the social ambitions that, that Whole Foods claimed to have. And so that's kind of the argument I think for us is that's going to happen every time. It's easy to. Right. And here's the moving away a little bit from lobbying, because I would argue that's a great argument for why companies should be allowed to lobby, because the lobbying that they've done when they they were profitable led to potentially real changes in legislation which will carry even after that company has maybe cut the funding and also like even if a company doesn't donate if a company donates you know 10 million to a charity this year and donates zero next year because they're not making a profit anymore that doesn't negate negate the impact of the first 10 million they donated but i think what it does do though is and this will maybe kind of move us a little bit more away from just the lobbying aspect and a little more into the next argument that I'm going to jump into here, which is broader than just money in politics, what kind of role do corporations have in democracy? Because what you're describing is true. They've donated the first 10 million or they've pushed for whatever they've pushed for and that's it. But it's beyond just the company pushing for that. It becomes society in certain ways then assumes that corporations have these great intentions, that they're going to fix these things. Well, I don't need to push for a $15 minimum wage because go work at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. They're already doing that. And that's all well and good when things are good. But then again, when things get bad, that kind of government activism, the political activism that would have forced all companies to do that is not there because the other, because the good corporations were available. And now those jobs at good corporations aren't there because as soon as the recession hit, they're not paying what they used to pay. They're not offering what they used to offer. That's the issue. And we can't hold corporations accountable the same way in which we can hold politicians accountable. I can vote somebody exactly. out of office, but I can't vote the CEO of a corporation out of office. So like, if I'll just give you an example of, so again, Elon Musk made a bunch of promises about as, as his, uh, as Tesla was, you know, the stock prices of Tesla were going way up. He said, Oh, I'm going to donate half of my worth to charitable foundations. Well, one, he hasn't done that. And two, he doesn't really have the cash flow to do it. Almost all of his, what would be liquid funds are in Tesla and SpaceX. And so you get, and, and there's, I can show you quotes where he said, I'm going to donate X amount, X amount, X amount. And he hasn't done that. And there's no way that we can go back and say, hey, you said you were going to do this. Now we have to make you do it. If a, if a politician says, I'm going to do this and they don't, then we don't, we don't have to vote for them the next time, you know? And so have, with, I with mean, corporate- yes, that happens in politics all the time. So, I mean, first of all, a CEO's promise on what they're going to do with their own capital is different than any sort of corporate promise. And I can talk about how how we can enforce uh, corporation commitments, and we can we can discuss that in a second. Um, but but second, that that also happens that happens in politics all the time when politicians say we're going to do this, they don't do this. And oftentimes they get voted back in the office because we have, because of all the 
political problems we have in the U.S. right now. So I don't think that's necessarily a, a corporate only. I think that's more of a, an issue with power than a, an issue with corporations. But I think Kyle's talking a little less about what has happened in the past and what the structures allow for. The structures allow for people to decide if that lack of promise being fulfilled was a reason to not vote you in again. Or maybe there are other reasons I'm okay with that promise not happening and I still vote you in. I have no sway over decisions that Elon Musk or Tesla, that Mackey or Whole Foods, that any of these individuals as individuals or as heads of their company, I have no control over ha having a problem with them not fulfilling a promise or what the promises they make are. And the issue here is that I'm gonna be affected by that in the same way that I would by a government making a decision for some of these large corporations, I'm gonna be impacted by that. And yet there's nothing that I can do to participate in that process the way that I can in a democracy. I'm not saying democracy is perfect, of course it has problems, but the structure is set up so that there are things I can do. That's not the case in a corporate structure. And that's the so problem there, there relying are, on them. There are, there are some things that uh, can be done both from, um, that, that are in the process of happening right now to, to address this. So first of all, a um, one way in which any consumer can have an impact on what a company does is through consumer activism, which is as simple as just not buying the products of the company that, does, that goes back on its promise. It goes as far as um, people running campaigns in the same way that they're running campaigns against politicians, but they're running campaigns against companies, which have led to companies changing their behavior once those get momentum. Because companies have, you know, at the end of the day, they do want to uh, satisfy their customers. And if their customers are dissatisfied, that has led to their change in behavior. The second one is that's happening more recently is um, actually a lot of the big investors a lot of the big pension managers, so BlackRock, for example, which is the one of the largest asset managers in the world, they have eight trillion dollars in investments on behalf of people like you and me who have who have retirement accounts, right? They're just like these little pools of money that add up to a lot. And they've they've made a statement in 2019 that they're going to start creating ESG reporting requirements for all the companies in the portfolio and companies in their portfolio that will stop meeting these requirements. Um, will be dropped from the portfolio, so they will they will sell their stocks if they if they don't course correct. So that's another way. That's another kind of private market solution to keeping companies responsible. Can you quickly tell us what ESG means? I just oh, sorry. Uh, yes. Environmental, social, and governance. So that's that's a, a set of standards around how a company performs on environmental metrics, on social metrics. So things like. Uh, diversity and inclusion and fair wages and governance. So how transparent they are with how they run their company and how, how um, even things like the right people, the retail investors having a say in how the companies run. Who, who decides that, who judges that on how well they're doing on those, those aspects? Um, there are a range of both not-for-profit companies that do that. So there, there are all these um, ratings from journalists, not-for-profit companies, but also in this case, uh, it'll be some of the, the big pension managers that will publish, that have and will publish standards that they judge companies by. I guess another, another fear we have here is a vast majority of the time that 
corporations are going to try to lobby, you know, government officials, it's lobbying government officials for them to be less regulated and allow them to do more stuff. You know, part of, I think, again, part of their argument is we can, we can fix things better than government agencies can fix things. Right. And the, and it seems to me, the more we allow them to do that, the more they are going back on their word and, and making more money. I think the other thing that I want us to note in regard to this is I think we need to talk a little bit about the cleansing of public images that some of these promises are actually for. I, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a part of it that's definitely for marketing to your consumer base that wants environmental protections from the brands they buy from. We will be generous and say there's a part of it, which is that these CEOs and leaders maybe are just also concerned citizens that want their companies to do better. But I don't think we can deny that there is a, there is also a way in which some of these statements and promises become a sort of PR stunt to wash away the sins of certain corporations. And part of why what I want to talk about in connection to that is also proportionality. So when a company or a, a CEO, but let's just say a company, says we are now doing X program, we will spend this much money on it. And they put out a press release and they do an announcement and they blast this on social media. You can see historically a lot of times that happens, first of all, after the company just did something pretty bad and they need to fix their image. But also those giant numbers look to most people like a massive contribution from that company, right? But proportionally com compared to how much the company is worth and how much they have, it's not. It's sort of like when people tell you that they don't wanna pay as much taxes, but they promise they'll donate more. They might donate a little bit more. They're not gonna donate the right percentage of their income to make the impact that it seems like they're making. I mean, we see this, right? And I think we can point to examples in the tech space in particular. Every time Facebook has a misstep with sharing people's data or there's a genocide that they were a big part of in Myanmar or fill in the blank, Zuckerberg comes out, answers a bunch of questions from people in Congress that don't understand technology and then makes an announcement about he's going to, how he's going to cure diseases. And he says a big dollar figure about this is how much money we're putting towards this. And that's what everyone reads and hears. And they don't realize that that dollar figure is actually pretty small compared to how much he's worth and what the company's worth. And that then six months later, diseases are still here. He has yet to cure anything because of course, because that's not why he said it. So I think we need to think through kind of what they use the promises for when they don't intend to keep them. And when governments spend 10 times that amount, a lot of people find it as irresponsible spending on the government's part because they feel like it's their money being spent. When it's and a partially because they see the other dollar figures. Zuckerberg told me he could fix the problem entirely with X amount. So why right. does the government mean 10 times more? And nobody follows so, up on the details of Zuckerberg not doing that in the first place. So let's let's talk about this because I think I think you're absolutely right. There are certain statements like this and certain campaigns. No, we're right. We win. It's over. <laughs> Sorry? Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, there, there are um, there, there are definitely campaigns that are pure PR stunts, and I, again, I think I think it would be naive to to deny this. There, are, you know, the BP doing a little uh, cleanup after their golf oil spill is not going to cure the problem. But there are also examples of companies who have made a huge impact, and both companies and founders who made a huge impact. So, you know, among the oldest examples of this, uh, which are, which was in a, in a 
period when companies were significantly less responsible than they are today. You have the examples of the likes of Andrew Carnegie, who invented the whole, uh, he was a, uh, a steel and rail uh, industrialist in the 1800s, who at the end of his life donated his entire fortune um, towards charitable um, initiatives. And he also started a, a movement within um, the very rich, the, the world of the very rich, which continues today with the likes of Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, who are doing this and increasingly so during their lives. And I think when we talk about impact, yes, maybe I don't know what uh, Zuckerberg promised in terms of curing diseases, but we need to remember that the likes of um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have had a significant impact to almost eradicating polio, which has been around for a very long time and was, was claiming hundreds of thousands of lives per year. So I think, I think to just wash it all as PR is also unfair. And I think, I think it's imp especially important, sorry, I, I will finish this in a second. I think it's especially important when you look at these um, companies and foundations impact in countries where the governments are not well set up and they're not doing the right thing. And that's where, that's where I think these, these companies can have an outsized impact. I am really glad that you brought up the Gates Foundation because I think that the Gates Foundation is the sort of go-to example for, for people making your case and for a lot of people. They're well-known being a wonderful foundation. They've done a lot of good. And so I think even if we look to them as kind of the quote unquote best case, I can still make a strong argument against things that the Gates Foundation does specifically to the point that Kyle and I were talking about, which is an outsized role in democracy where they get to overrule what most people want. And a great example of this is what the Gates Foundation did around charter schools in the state of Washington, because Bill Gates and Melinda Gates are big fans of charter schools. They really want to lead the charge on them in the U.S. And they actually spent that's a lot because of they control those schools outside of government. Right, that's which the, those schools in general, we have a whole episode on this, listeners. Go check out go back and watch that charter one, schools. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but regardless of where you stand on charter schools or not, the gates are big fans of them. They wanted them to happen, they wanted to lead the way on them. And what happened is that they got voted out. I mean, the Washington and, and Oregon, I don't it might have been in both. I don't remember where this happened, but the voters of the Pacific Northwest are not fans of charter schools and voted multiple times to not move public funding for education to charter schools. And the Gates Foundation simply spent a bunch of money, had entire campaigns, took all of the political force that they have, which is big because as you mentioned, they're a massive organization and they simply overruled what the voters wanted. They kept tweaking things, they kept lobbying politicians until they got new politicians into office that they knew would vote the way they wanted. They had multiple votes until they finally got the one they wanted. And I think this is the concern that Kyle and I are talking about when you rely to some degree, and we would argue at this point to too much of a degree on corporations, they start to think that they can overrule democracy and they do in certain cases. Again, Bill and Melinda Gates are best case scenario and they still think they know better than all of the voters in, in these states when it comes to education and they simply spent their money and power overruling them. That's really problematic. It definitely is. And I think I think there are, I think the Bill and, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, I would argue that the good thing they're doing for society outweigh the bad things they're doing for society. Uh, because I think even in the example that you gave me was problematic they've spent money on campaigning, it was still done through a democratic process. Is They still use the 
levers of a democratic process. And what the, the, the conversation there is still around providing better education, whether they have the right idea or not, it's not as if, you know, it, they're not investing in anything to further the cause of Microsoft. They're, for, they're investing in something they, they think will provide a benefit to their community using, um, using the, their, the political tools that are in place. Think that think those charter schools are using Chromebooks and Google. I mean, I think I think those charter. Just saying. I think I think those charter schools, even if they're using Microsoft, they provide a negligible amount of income to Microsoft as a whole. But, but here, I think is a great point that Kyle sort of brought up, though, which is the interconnectedness of the responsibilities of a corporation. A corporation that wants to solve a problem is never going to come to the conclusion that they are the problem or that they are causing the problem. A government's responsibility, again, I know democracy is not perfect, but in a democratic society, the responsibility is to the voters. We have lots of issues with how that happens, but at the end of the day, you have to give the voters what they need and make their lives tangibly better or you will most likely be voted out. A corporation, even in the best case scenario of what you're describing, still has two sometimes somewhat competing goals. Maybe they want to also be environmentally focused and improve society and help children with education and however they think best, they also need to make a profit. And so what happens when the problems that they're trying to solve are caused by the other end of their motivator, which is their profit motivation. And, and again, I'm going to go back to some of the tech companies because they're great examples of this. Silicon Valley and the tech companies are constantly telling us what innovators they are and how much better they are at solving things than government. And a lot of the problems that they talk about their AI solving or ways that they're going to fix are created by their business models in the first place. They're never gonna come up with a solution that admits that their core business model is the problem, whereas the government might say the issue is X, Y, Z from you. The issue is your business model. The issue is your regulation. Especially when you have a change of party, they're gonna say, yeah, the problem was you know, this other, these other people's, even sometimes the same party coming in might say, I'm better than this other guy. We're gonna, we're gonna retool the whole thing. Right. I, mean, I think. I think. First of all, it's uh, it's unfair to say the companies will never come to the conclusion that they're the problem and do something to harm their profits. I think we have the examples of companies like Patagonia, which at some point decided they're they're growing too quickly and becoming too they're selling too much and creating too much waste. So they've done a few things. They've just stopped start closing their stores more and they've cl started closing their stores on Black Friday. They started, and, and they've also put a, got a lot of pro, uh, programs in place that basically allow you to just bring used garments, give them back and get money back for them that's in excess of what those, those things cost. So that, that basically, they've, they've taken a hit on sales and profit as a way of identifying one of the things they're doing as a problem and solving it. But I think, I think that's an example of companies have only, companies have only started thinking this way um, over the past 20 to 30 years, and in 1970, when, when Milton Friedman came and said the social responsibility of a company is to make profit, that was, to, to a large degree, that became the, the mantra. And only in the you know, late 2000s, after the financial crisis, that companies and a lot of individuals as well as citizens start questioning that. And I think since then, companies have been making progress towards finding models to to actually become valuable to all stakeholders. And it's not an easy thing to solve because like you said, sometimes there is a conflict between a profit and, and the, uh, the, the uh, interests of other stakeholders. I think more and more companies are finding ways to, to, to solve that conflict. And I think more and more companies are moving in that direction.
Do you think it's realistic to expect most companies, I mean, outside of a couple of these examples of, you know, Patagonia and, and others, do you think it's realistic to expect in the future that most companies will make profit sacrifices for some of these, these goals that you're describing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I think the the trend that we're seeing is is very encouraging, and I think the fact that now institutional investors, who are basically the main shareholders of these companies, are getting on this bandwagon is gonna is going to um, accelerate this change quite a bit. And again, this 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 as a as an idea, this also originated around you know thirty years ago or so when. The idea of a social contract between business and society uh, introduced by it was the the committee for economic development, but the basic is the first time that that uh, that economic that academic uh, um, thought on this said companies exist because of public consent and therefore have an obligation to society. So I think I think more and more companies and also more and more CEOs are getting on board with this, and I think. Yes, I think I think we're gonna. I think it's not on the question that we're gonna be in a place where, even if not all companies, most companies are gonna find a way to reconcile these um, these opposites. I mean, you know, clearly we're gonna disagree with you on that, um, but I think we've definitely covered quite a bit here. I want to make sure I give our guests a chance to cover anything that you feel like hasn't been covered or, or addressed throughout and and then we'll sort of wrap this one up. Uh, oh, I think I think the one point that I want to make um, that's potentially worth making is that whatever you think about the broader uh, role of corporations, and I truly believe that the, the broader role of corporations has to do with serving all its stakeholders, but whatever you think about that, I think we should not forget the fact that uh, private markets and corporations are essentially the only way that we've that has been proven to deliver sustained economic growth that they, that then can be redistributed. And I think I think we have the examples of countries like China, um, in which the move to private markets and corporations have led to one of the um, fastest improvement in living standards in history. We're talking about 1980s China, 80 something percent of the population lived under the extreme poverty line. And they've brought that to almost 0% within a span of a few decades. We've never seen anything like this in history. And I think before we can argue as much as we want about how to distribute the, the profits and wealth, but in order to create that wealth in the first place, um, corporations have a, um, a big role to play there. Yeah, so you're also bringing up a country that has huge humanitarian issues throughout their, their policy. Like that, that country has humanitarian issues all over the place because their government is constantly, is constantly leaning towards their, their large corporations and, their, and that, that, those free markets. And, I'm, and I don't think our argument is to get rid of free markets. And, and for this podcast, I'm not even sure our argument is to get rid of the corporation it's that the corporation shouldn't be in charge of the social programs. We can let we can allow them to be yeah. in charge of economic development, but then it, there, it might be we might be better suited to be more like some of the Scandinavian countries and make sure that we're regulating regulating those corporations more, and that we're that we're not allowing the corporations to be the ones that are dictating what social policies and how wealth is distributed. 
Absolutely agree. I don't think that anyone over here was making the case that companies should go away and we should be completely communist. We recognize the role that corporations play. I, I think there is a difference though in the role that they play, like Kyle said, economically in wealth creation and economic advancement and the role that they play in, in other social issues around education, around environmental concerns, around regulations, around access to things like the internet. I mean, there's any number of issues that I think that big corporations, especially at this moment, our big tech companies have feel, but not have also said that they believe that they are better equipped to deal with than the government. And I think our argument is that them doing that is a direct conflict of interest. I think we've I think I've addressed that point um, on mine both in terms of lobbying and in terms of um, direct impact. And um, while I don't think that corporations should exist in a regulation vacuum, we also need to acknowledge the fact that um, people humans are very at circumventing rules. So it's very hard to rely solely on regulations and so given the speed of the regulations to solve all social issues. And I think that's where corporations with their, their nimbler, more way of um, operating can help solve those issues even when the regulations are not in place. I'm, Aaron, I'm excited for you because you got your first win on the podcast because I was on your side this time. So congratulations <laughs> on your first win. Um, it's an exciting time for you, I'm sure. I'm going to stick with my standard ending, which is I always leave it up to our listeners to decide who wins. The millions of listeners out there. The millions of listeners out there can let us know who won. But I do want to give a special thank you to Christian for joining. You got wonderful it. information, a great perspective. We truly appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation. It was a pleasure.